you done to it? That's why we're aboard her. <laughs> Captain Jerk. Captain Who? Is this thing on? This is Big Green. And the other thing. Choose to go to the moon what? and the Gonna find out what the other thing is. this thing on? Yes, we choose to do this as Big Green, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Bad <laughs> enough. Welcome to This is Big Green. Here we come with another episode of Net Trek Fantastic. Sagan's brain. Now tell the wrath of Carl. <laughs> the wrath of Carl. Sagan's brain. Yes, screwed it up, Joe. As usual, ruin in the beginning of the show. God damn it! And we've got uh, we've got a lot of other stuff too. A couple songs. I don't know what else. Find out. Keep listening. Never turn it off. No matter what we say. No matter what we do, don't turn it off, don't turn it off. Be strong, be strong. Ah, this is Lee Majors. Last week on Ned Trek, super powerful space aliens tried to make the crew of the Free Enterprise surrender their chief engineer by making them all sing a collection of preposterous songs and do other foolish and humiliating things. I'm just glad that my producers never tried anything like that on me, but I've got way too much self-respect to go along with such harebrained ideas. Anyhow, things all seemed to work out, and Captain Romney even ended up making some money by the end of the show, which is just the way he likes it. Now stay tuned for some more nuggets of pure science fiction gold, coming right up! Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. This is the life. No worries, no responsibilities. Just leaning back in my captain's easy boy chair and cruising at space normal speed. Actually, Captain Willard, you do have a few responsibilities, you know. Like the ship and our mission and the crew. Just forgettable stuff like that. I see. How's that now, Captain? You shouldn't be too lackadaisical here now. What if some other ambitious officer were to scoop up the initiative and pull your command right out from under your goulashes? That's just the ticket. Thanks, Doc. I'll have a scoop of that goulash, too. (sighs) 
<laughs> I see. You know what, Mr. Hawk? <laughs> I think that the captain just went and dozed off. Careful, Doc. You want to use up your quotient of too accurate diagnosis all at once, do you? I see. Why does he keep doing that all just lately? The phone into Dreamland at the drop of a hat, I mean. Hey, Miss Romney, do sound me You've done it again, Doc. You've ushered him into unconsciousness with your insufferable, folksy turn of phrase. You really should try to control yourself, at least during daytime hours. There's something wrong with that guy. He can't even stay awake during a battle. If it wasn't for the fact that he happened to slump over onto the torpedo launch button at the right time during that incident in the blood tax system, we'd all be speaking clean Chinese right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. We got into that little skirmish with them over which power has the right to develop the crap out of that fifth planet in the bleep tax system. They thought they were going to convert it into a horrible prison planet and military base with a water park. Now everyone in this sector knows that we could do that much more efficiently than they could. And our military contractors are capable of making twice as much cash. All I could say is it's a good thing that the clean tons believe in suspending hostilities during the lunch hour. Indeed, that gave the captain an opportunity for his Hail Mary pass-out maneuver. Is that what those strategist goobers at Starfleet are calling it? Yeah, well, it was either that or the Snorbamite maneuver. I personally think they made the right choice. Even the medal they gave him doesn't seem to keep him awake anymore. I say no, sir. He used to get a real kick out of watching his servants polishing it up there all nice like. Doc, could you forget for a minute that you're probably only qualified as some kind of ass doctor and come up with some kind of real diagnosis for his condition? Well, you could examine him starting from his ass. Perhaps that's where his ailment stems from. Maybe it's right. Jillian narcolepsy. I heard that there's been some of that going around, especially on Rigel and at the capital city of Narcolepardo. Willard was there a few months ago, trying to make money by selling off holdings that belong to people who are legally declared to be inactive and or sleeping. <laughs> sell, sell. <laughs> sell. Well, would you look at that? He's sleep trading. What a true marketeer that man is. Doc, before he sleep trades away his share of the free enterprise, see what you could do to come up with a miracle cure. I know that you're not capable of doing it yourself. I mean, the two words doctor and Colburn are a contradiction in terms. But maybe you could just check the computer's memory banks. Perhaps someone on another show already did the work. Sure, you could check with Marcus Welby. I think it's possible that he visited other worlds at one time, and, and I think that his show is concurrent with ours. What in the hell makes you think that Marcus Welby ever went to Rigel? Well, the actor's first TV wife was Jane Wyatt, and she went to Vulcan, didn't she? That was on some short-lived TV show, wasn't it? Oh, Jesus. I'll just ask the computer myself. Computer? Working? Well, obviously I'm working. I'm second in command and science officer aboard the Free Enterprise. Correct. Commander, Nedward, Palamanius, Withers, current assignment, the United Astro Service Starship Free Enterprise, registration number MT-9922, 
Commander Withers, twice decorated by Starfleet, once by mistake. They thought he was Captain Hengist, another officer horse. Commander Withers was born in California, planet Earth. He was the only foal of Mr. Dandy and Princess Nellie Trotmeyer. Both were nearly champion dressage horses. Commander Withers, or Mr. Ned, as he became known by the age of three, first won international acclaim, playing the part of Jesus' horse in the greatest story ever sold. His next cinematic triumph was playing the missing horse in Sir Lawrence Olivier's rendition of Richard III. That amazing performance nearly got him nominated for Best Supporting Animal, but Academy Politics kept him from getting the award and the recognition from his peers that he so richly deserved. Furthermore, if a certain, shall we say, big stupid oak with lifelike hair hadn't come by and purchased him at bargain basement... Computer off! Wow, you must have programmed that computer yourself. All that lavish praise and sympathetic ass-coddling. I wonder what it says about me. Computer, please tell us something about the ship's fourth in command. Working. Well, yes, I should say so. I'm fourth in command aboard the Free Enterprise, and I'm a high-priced independent military consultant. I advise planets to go to war all the time, and always with other planets that can't possibly fight back. That ensures that I'll always get paid. Lieutenant Commander Richard Blow Daddy Pearl. Current assignment, doing whatever he can to help his own massive ass. Once decorated by Starfleet's Chief Baker, they thought he was a big fat jam cake with large frosting. In his younger days, he was a sniveling little snitch, a grubby liar, and a two-faced coward. He has only gotten worse with age. At Starfleet's Academy, he broke into the Commandant's quarters and obtained test answers for an upcoming exam. He sold answers to other lowly cadets for 200 credits. Computer off! Actually, I've only got 50% of that. I had to pay midshipman Fenton Lubner 50% for stealing the key. Hey, this is character assassination, which is one particular type of assassination that I am no fan of. I could probably sue Starfleece for this. Hey, and maybe for 200 million credits. I have to get my lawyer, Fenton Lubner Esquire, on this right away. You could sue them later. Right now we need a cure for the captain's Rigelian sleep and sickness. Computer, is there any known cure for that disease? Or should we just put the captain to bed and forget about this week's episode? Working. Yes, I'm still working in the same place. What the hell's wrong with you? Non sequitur, your thoughts are discombobulated. The cure for Rigelian psoriasis is lymphat McGillicuddy ointment. And injections of plomplasia. No, no, not psoriasis. Narcolepsy. You panel of surprisingly bulky transistors, you. And don't bother saying it. Just print it out for us. Working. Are you trying to get me to work for you? Is that your game? Well, I already worked for a husk of memory banks whose qualities could only improve by squatting in a mushroom. The formula for Rigelian narcolepsy remedy is ready for transmission. At last, transmit it directly to the doctor's tricorder. I see, I see. This is incredible. I'm getting it here, Mr. Haas. What the? Talfridian lemons? Oil of califilium? Cheap of pine crab gravy? 
I say, where exactly does a body come up with stuff like that in the middle of the darkest, deepest, blackest space? <clears throat> I have some of those ingredients in my oval quarters. I make a special lubricating martini out of them. With 12 parts gin, they make a fairly passable concoction. Fine, Doc. Go get what you need from Nixon's quarters. I say, so do I really have to go all the way down there? can I just say, hit the captain in the head with my tricorder? You know, sometimes the old homestyle remedies are the best. And they're almost always the fastest and the cheapest. You lazy bastards. Oh, just go ahead and whack him on the head, then. I guess that he doesn't keep anything important in that thing anyhow. I see. I've been waiting for a long time to try out this newfangled treatment here. Pop him up some so I can figure me the most advantageous angle. There. There. Now just try not to hit my hand. Now let's see. I have to see if I recall some of the book learning from my days at New Oklahoma U. Oh yeah. The craniest bone is situated up here between the crotchety bone and the herring bone. Right about here. It didn't seem to work, except that he stopped snoring. That could be a good sign. Do you think he needs another treatment? Hold up for a minute, Dr. Kavorkian. He might be all dead. Willard, is anybody in there? Hey, Willard, this is Angel Maroney. Oh, boy. Angel Maroney, are you here to transmit any revelations to me? Willard, it's me, Mr. Ned. Are you finally awake? <laughs> My goodness, what a charming dream I just had. I dreamt that I was downsizing the kingdom of the Incas along with several dozen of my conquistador friends. We used a weapon called disease. <laughs> the next thing I knew, I was on board a tremendous temple that flies through the heavens. I think that I must have been some kind of super top angel. I remember the faces of my subordinates all peering at me and trying to find ways to serve me. And you, and you, and you, and you were there. Well, that wasn't a dream. That's what's happening now. The doctor... Just stumbled upon his own cure for your Rigelian sleeping sickness. I see. We may just have to repeat the treatment several times over the next few days. In the meantime, sir, you can just wear this medical mallet around your neck at all times. Whenever you feel yourself starting to doze, just whack yourself on the noggin bone, and that should set you all straight. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. You're a lifesaver. A lifesaver without the hole. No. He's got the hole. Personally, I think it wasn't narcolepsy at all. Oh, I think an alien computer virus was deliberately transmitted to the captain's system board. You see, he has enemies, a whole vast list of villainous enemies, and they'll stop at nothing to screw any commander of the free enterprise. We shouldn't let them get away with this, no. We need to screw them first. Get me Hoover on the phone. You want to talk to a vacuum cleaner? I think that you're the one with a computer virus. Captain, uh, I guess I'm still in this episode. I was beginning to wonder. Captain, we're reading a model alien ship on the navigational sensors. She's a long way out, sir. Either that or she's a really small model. Anyway, she appears to be drifting. Should we change course to investigate, sir? <laughs> if you like, helmsman, bring the ship about. 
Course 551259, Mark Three. Sir, but that course would ram the ship directly into the Flimbodian sun. <laughs> oh, darn it. In that case, Helmsman, why don't you just put the ship on script control? Do you think you can do that and lock it in, mister? Um, yes, sir. Switching. Captain Willard, as far as I could tell, the ship is one of two models that we have of old-style interstellar Earth spacecraft. This one is the Aurora. I think the other one was made by Mattel. How could an old-style Earth ship model have gotten this far out in space, given the means of propulsion in those days? They would have only been capable of sublight speeds. Wouldn't it have taken a ship like that thousands of years even to reach some of Earth's nearest neighboring star systems? Pearl, we're all going to pretend that we didn't hear you say that. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, you remind me of the ancient heretics that insisted on disseminating all of their scientific knowledge to a willfully ignorant faith community. And they did that all while standing on one hot foot. A few minutes later, they were made to stand on the other whipped and broken foot. For once I agree with you, Willard, if we had listened to those eggheads, we would have never gotten into pretending to go into outer space. I say, ooh. Those evil men of science would have us believe that our God-inspired faces were instead monkey-inspired. Well, I say, can a monkey work the air sets control of this here starship? No! Monkeys are relegated to lesser roles, like maneuvering go-karts at Colonel Clement's Kentucky Motor Fun Yard and games. You guys have me all wrong. I hate those eggheads every bit as much as you do. For one thing, they are absolute poison to my energy portfolio. Those losers are always doing their best to poison the oil well with their climate alarmism. I mean, it took years for the climate to go septic. And I made a lot of cash in that time. I mean, it's true that you need a few of those guys around to develop deadly munitions. But when they're finished with that task, they should be made to shut up. Captain Willard, the ship is the Aurora model. This time it's called the UN Dodecahedron. There's no record of a launch date. But I'd estimate that she launched back at the end of the 20th century, probably during the last Great War. That war was the war to end all culture wars war. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot all about that war war. I think that I was called back to missionary duty at the time. As usual, I tasked myself with converting people only in places that we weren't blowing up so much. We know so little about that period. Probably because we accidentally killed off most of the historians. It wasn't the fledgling New Confederacy's fault, though. Those historians just dress pretty much the same as our target class of scientists. They all have that heavy poindexter thing going. <sighs> I guess that we should have dropped leaflets on them or something. But who had the time to think of that in those heady days of purging? So if this ship is indeed from that era... Perhaps the occupants can fill in some of the gigantic gaps in our knowledge of that time, and of every other time while they're at it. New Confederate history is a bit of a Swiss cheese. I say, but it's good cheese, and good on this here cracker. So do you read any life signs aboard the dodeca-doo-doo, Mr. Ned? What I'm getting is pretty faint. I don't think they can be human which is a relief to me and probably to every other kind of space animal. It could be a ship of jellyfish or some other invertebrate. Perhaps they're spineless friends of yours, Pearl. No, I don't think so. Most of my spineless colleagues aren't into interstellar space travel. It's too scary. They might get hurt. I only do it because I'm obsessed with outer space riches. Those riches? 
<laughs> yes, the riches. We'll have to stop by and visit them before we leave this sector, or they'll never forgive me. That ship hasn't made any attempt to talk to us, nor has it made any defensive or offensive maneuvers. I think that it may just be a derelict ship. Those life sign readings must be wrong. A derelict ship? Do you mean there are hobos aboard that thing? Perhaps on Earth, 200 years ago, back when they were still producing spaceship models like that one, the young new confederacy decided to ship its population of indigent hobos out into space. Just to get rid of them. I mean, they probably aimed it at Earth's sun, and then just missed. That's understandable, if the launch took place after they got rid of all the scientists. I say, I say, the most humane thing to do would have been to kill them with surplus military ordnance, and then to get some target practice in at the same time. Spoken like a true man of medicine. We could have studied their bodies later on. See what kind of job those rapid-fire bullets of Jesus did. Captain Willard, I suggest that we beam over to the ship. I'm reading an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere over there, and it's high time that we get this episode's plot moving. Very well, Mr. Ned. Let's get the usual crew of senior officers over to the transporter room and go have a look-see. Do we have to, Captain? I don't want to have to walk all the way to the elevator and then stand in there for a while, pretending that it's doing something, only to have to walk out and tramp all the way around to the corridor set, and then walk back and forth in there a few times, only to have to then go over to the transporter room set and stand around there for a while. Can't we just do a break here and then let the camera fade in on us, as we're already beaming aboard the derelict model? Just get over to the transporter room, Pearl. I say, derelict models? One of those. Some kind of fashion hobos? Oh, forget it. I say, I say, what a nice roomy ship. It's not littered with the kind of fangled device consoles and confusing banks of toggle switches. It's just like one of the clean corridors on our own ship back home. <laughs> and would you look at all the curio cabinets all up and down the hallway here. There must be five of them, with 20 more painted on the set's backdrop. I wonder what's on display in those things. <laughs> it looks like there's a man in this one. I imagine he suffers from some novel disease, or perhaps he has an entertaining deformity. Something that makes him collectible to the owner of this place. He's in suspended animation, Willard. All of the cases are the same. There's a whole crew in suspended animation. You know, this one looks so real. Not like a cartoon at all. <laughs> they must be using digital animation for this fellow. He's a real person, Willard. He's just been put into a deep sleep by biological torpor-inducing technology. Evidently, this is a sleeper ship. Are you absolutely sure that this isn't a ghoul ship? They're not going to wake up all at the same time and start chasing after me, using their horrible, twisted ghoul arms to try to help themselves to my incredible brains. They probably wouldn't bother, Pearl. I checked out their larder before we beamed over. They still have a full cargo of nut meats to feed on before they'd get to you. Okay, you've convinced me. So this must be one of those Poindexter ships that we coincidentally spoke of earlier in the same episode. There's a bunch of science brainiacs on board, all of them banished from Earth way back at the end of the 20th century. Banished by the fledgling Confederate government. God praise it. 
They must have been adrift in deep space for 200 years. All of them nearly frozen solid. Think of that. Is there anything else in the icebox with them? Any fish sticks or battered sea monkeys? Visiting the Humanities Museum always makes me hungry for a little fishman. I see, I see. No doubt they're floating around up here biding their time. All of them waiting for the Confederation's thousand-year triumphant reign to end so they can come back and plunge us into a thousand years of darkness and evil welfare state-town foolery. It was all foretold. Captain Romney, I just looked at the ship's engine room and checked its power reserves. It's at the end of the line here, sir. The ship is just a few weeks away from total system failure. Mr. Welch will take it in tow. We probably will need to use that model again in another episode. That is, before one of our producer's kids takes the thing home, <laughs> smashes it with rocks, and sets it on fire. <laughs> Those producer's kids. Shouldn't we first try to get one of these guys defrosted? At least so we could laugh at their hopelessly out-of-date mannerisms and turns of phrase. What the heck? Sure, Ned. You're okay to defrost one of the display freezers. Captain... There's not enough power left on the ship to properly defrost and safely open even one of these containers. We'll have to beam over a team of expendable technicians, along with a portable energizing unit. Go ahead, Mr. Welsh. Order your energizer batteries. <laughs> now, Union Carbide, that was a company worthy of our patronage. Captain, I recognize some of the brainiacs in these freezing tubes. This one is Dr. Carl Sagan. And over there is Stephen Hawking. It skip a couple of eggheads over to your left, and that one is Dr. Walid Abdullahi. This is a frozen hive of paleo-Darwinists, astrophysicists, and climatologists. All are probably active humanists, meaning enemies, sir. <laughs> Hi, Mr. President. What are you doing here? Some sightseeing? Well, yes, Captain. I thought that I'd observe the situation down here and also offer the services of my ion batteries. I understand that you're trying to get Dr. Teller's freezing tube opened. That's great, Mr. Nixon, sir, but unfortunately it's not Dr. Teller. It's Dr. Carl Sagan. Oh, sorry, my mistake. It's not the first time that I've made this kind of mistake. I recall my people once telling me that they had invited the Duke to the White House in order to accept a prestigious presidential music award or some such thing. So I was expecting to see the Duke, you know, John Wayne, and then imagine my surprise when I saw an elderly Negro come in and accept the award. So I, of course, handed him my overcoat. Well, what would you have done? They told me later this guy was Duke Ellington, some mustachioed piano key tiddler. Well, it's true. Those people can run like the devil with a tune in their hands, although they usually go too far and need to be intercepted by law enforcement. I tell you, I was disappointed not to hear Duke Wayne belt out a patriotic song or accept the music award, but at least he remained generous with cash contributions to my campaigns. Mr. Nixon, where can I plug in our ion extension cord? Hang on a minute. I have to get these suspenders unhooked. <clears throat> Don't tell me we have to look at Nixon's bionic ass while this power transfer is going on. <laughs> look upon him proudly, Mr. Ned, for that's where my own conservatism originated from. <laughs> Captain, it's working. The chamber is opening up. The light is going on. He's alive, sir. 
Oh, go away, you dumb kids. I'm not going to say billions and billions for your frivolous amusement. Oh, damn it. You made me say it. Um, what are you people doing in my bedroom? <laughs> no, sir. This is a spaceship. You've been in suspended animation for 200 years. <laughs> Lieutenant Stash, make a note of that. After Bane acquires a company, it can put all the factory workers into suspended animation. We can wake them up again when labor costs crash in their countries. But Captain Romney, the high cost of maintaining an entire workforce in suspended animation would make the idea infeasible. I mean, you'd have to keep hundreds of freezers going. I know that I wouldn't be considering investing in that kind of venture, sir. You're right, Mr. Pearl, and Bane preliminary profit projections agree with you. Mr. Stash, you're reduced another two steps in rank. Now go break another cassava melon over your head. <laughs> Aye, sir. Thank you, sir. Right away, sir. But, Captain, we didn't beam over with any melons. He'll have to improvise. Perhaps with that model of Neptune's moon Triton over there on the table. Hey, you stay away from that moon. There's a fresh melon in the kitchen. Now, who exactly are you people? And what are you doing in my bedroom? Is that a horse? Did you people bring a horse into my bedroom? Sir, it's as the captain said. This is an old-style spaceship, and you've been in suspended animation for 200 years. Nonsense. I'm Dr. Carl Sagan, and this is my home. I went to sleep late last night. I got about six hours sleep total. I see. I can see that he's all discombobulated on account of him being all disorientated. You know, back when I went to the Orient... It was not to do what that Italian fellow did, that Marco Polo fellow. No, he was only after a few souvenirs, like macaroni and firecrackers and the like. He wasn't out to make a real international impact like I was. I venture to say that my trade deals made the Kremlin cry on the inside, and that's a fact. Let me get this straight. You brought a horse and former President Richard M. Nixon into my bedroom. And why exactly isn't Nixon wearing pants? You secular humanist fool. We've been trying to tell you, this isn't your house. And if you must know, it's the only slightly futuristic interior of one of Desilu's rented warehouses. And Nixon's pants are down because we had to plug something into him. I'm warning you all. Get out of here. Or I will call Jet Propulsion Laboratory Security. What was that? It looks like Subens and Stash couldn't find your melon, Dr. Sagan. So he had to break your Triton moon model over his head after all. I guess you can build Starfleets for that. Although they don't make a habit of paying for anything. As should be evident by our crew here. Do you know how much work went into making that moon model? We painstakingly went through all of the imaging data transmitted from Voyager 2. Matching atmospheric hues and getting the scale just right. Who's you? Anyhow, Sagan, it's just a stupid frozen moon. There's nothing worth mining there. If there was, I'd think that you'd also have a cross-section of it on display, showing Halliburton and other mining companies where they can put their mining straws in. That is, unless you're deliberately concealing something from us. You are very strange and deluded people. Let me clue you into something. Our doors work to let people in. They also have another function. Let's see if you could figure out what that is. 
<laughs> you don't understand, Dr. Sagan. We're here to rescue you from this hopelessly damaged spaceship. And your crew of about three non-speaking extras, that is. And by my count, that makes about 75 of you. Aren't you that inbred son of the governor of Michigan? Rombo or something? Oh yes, you ran for senate in Massachusetts. You were a dismal failure, as I recall. So this is your latest doomed enterprise. It seems even more far-fetched. You might try a career in religion. That might just work out for a man of your obvious talents. No, he tried that too. He came out ridiculous. I see. Can't you see that that man in the past is in a state of delirium? He's talking wild. We might be advised to treat him for Rigelian sleeping sickness right away. Doc, just hypo him so we can get him over to our ship. Do it fast before he makes fun of us again. Didn't the Doc make it clear today that he's only qualified to work on people's asses? Well then hypo him in the ass then. Come on, let's get moving. I've got an appointment with my lawyer that I'd rather not be late for. I'm still thinking about that 200 million credit lawsuit. I could finally pave the rest of my driveway with beautiful gold. You're taking me where exactly? And how are we getting there? Well, we're using our ship's transporter, of course. Then I take it we're all going to pile into some seedy van, probably with an out-of-scale planet painted on the side of it. Oh yes, and a flying unicorn, with wings of insufficient size to even lift a weasel. No, no, Einstein. We're going to beam back over to the Free Enterprise. That means that we have to stand here perfectly still until we begin to look like a swarm of atoms. Then we stand there for a little while longer, while the sparkling atoms swirl around in our cut-out silhouettes, and then we disappear, only to reappear in our own transporter room. It's astoundingly futuristic. It's also quite economical for a network that never liked the idea of springing for the special effects it would take to have a space van take off and land in every episode. <laughs> I think I'd like a ride in the space van. I'd give you the keys if I could. Romney the Free Enterprise? Aye, sir. Mr. Sulu, prepare to have the landing party beamed aboard. Aye, aye, sir. They're locking on to you. There, Sagan. What did you think about that? You've just essentially been molecularly deconstructed in one place, transmitted in a beam of energy at light speed, and then reconverted into your inimitable elitist self in another different place. Mr. Welsh can give you a more technical description of how the transporter works, but don't be too surprised if it's not that much more technical. That's okay. From what you've already told me, and from what I supposedly just experienced... I already know that the entire concept is completely unscientific and untenable. Mr. Walsh, for some reason we saw fit to delay the beam over of Mr. Stephanie and his expendable tech team. <laughs> Prepare to energize your system and get ready with a look of surprise. You might possibly convince me that the act of converting matter into energy and then back to matter again could be plausible if you're dealing with specific kinds of matter, perhaps substances comprised of undifferentiated molecular combinations. Something like pastry dough might just be able to be beamed between hermetically sealed chambers, and this might be accomplished after centuries of vigorous research and testing, but I think it would hardly be worthwhile. 
and I can almost guarantee that the dough that was transported would make pretty lousy scones. However, the idea of converting a living organism into energy and then expecting to reassemble that creature molecule by molecule into its original living state is pure fantasy. If anything, you'd be transporting something from the world of the living to the world of the dead. In stark reality, you wouldn't be able to beam up a fly. Hey, well, that's not all bad. We could use it to carry out capital punishment. Captain, there's a problem with the transporter. All the indicator lights are all of a sudden not signifying anything, and the post-production sounds and special tingly effects are just that. Edifying effects? No, it's working all right. But what's that stuff that just appeared on the platform? Is it Mr. Stephanie D. and his team? They sure look a lot shorter now, or maybe they're all... just all dead again. Go take a look, Doc. I say, Captain, these men have been turned into two-pound dollops of pastry dough. <laughs> pastry dough, you say? That means that I lost a man. I lost three men. Mr. Ned, you better go designate another Mr. Stephanie or two. The way this episode is going, we might need to have a few more on hand. I say, the interesting thing is that when you take all the water, bones, organ meat, and God spark out of a human body, all that's left is about two pounds of pastry dough. Yeah, I think I recall seeing that in a Jesus-approved textbook sometime back when I was rattling up the dirt road to learn it. I say, Captain, what do you think we should do with all this here fancy dough? Well, it's not the kind of dough that I usually hang on to. <laughs> it's not the right color, for one thing. Why don't you have the ship's head chief baker make them into soylent croissants and feed them to the new Mr. Stephanie's? <laughs> that will give them the quick energy that they need to die for us another day, or perhaps even later this same day. Oh, and Mr. Pearl, see that the families of the departed Mr. Stephanie's receive a package of those croissants, compliments of the captain of the free enterprise. <laughs> They'll be so proud. But that sounds like some kind of pig and French cannibalism you're suggesting. We can't stoop to that. Not unless new Jesus comes back and says it's all right. And then, oh boy, you wouldn't be able to keep me from those tasty doodads. I'm also hoping that new old Jesus boy will give a nod to my coveting thy neighbor's fine tractor. What I want to know is why the transporter stopped working this time. It seemed that everything was working just fine until Dr. Killjoy over here opened his big mouth and drinks the transporter controls with his so-called real-world science. It's funny that you talk about me having a big mouth. And frankly, it's funny, and I mean funny in the scientific sense, that you're talking at all. Not only do horses lack a larynx, which is the essential organ for the production of human speech. They also lack a specialized tongue and the lip control that are crucial for forming words. Now, maybe if you were a parrot, or say a minor bird, with a cernix located at the top of your lungs, you might be able to tuck. But a horse? No, sorry. That's not scientifically possible. <laughs> Whatever have you done to him? Mr. Ned, sir, it's your voice. I cannot understand you. <laughs> it's okay, Mr. Ned. The doc is going to check you out. I'm sure that with his skill, he'll break out his medical bag of tricks and club you back to normal in no time. 
What's he doing? Is he river dancing? <laughs> King of the dance? I think so. He's reacting to his mental trauma by resurrecting an old dressage dance routine. Born to entertain our Mr. Nettis. With all due respect, sir, I think that's Cody's clomping up. Long, short, short, long. Well, what then is he saying with that code? Is he giving the dimensions for a gentleman's fancy dinner coat? Does he think he's a tailor now? Pearl, if it's cold that he's tapping out, what is he saying? Well, it is code. To be specific, it's old-style Morse code. And I can't understand it. Back when I was a teenager, I got really into ham radio. There was nothing much else to do back in Hollywood where I grew up. I was too talented to go into show business, and I recall that my parents wouldn't let me stay up late and help start wars in Africa or Southeast Asia, which is what all my idols were doing at that point in time. So to amuse myself and to pass the time, I used my ham radio set to send messages to all of the Poindexter-type kids around town. I communicated to them that it was completely safe for them to hold their piggy bank convention on the playground. I told them that all the bullies would be out of town that day. Meanwhile, and again using my ham radio set, I tapped out a message to the school bullies and told them where the little dweebs were going to be. Later on, the bullies would fleece the Poindexters, and I'd get my intelligence cut. That's one of the ways that I put myself through charm school. Yes, of course. I thought that I knew you from somewhere. I was one of those Poindexter-headed kids that you spoke of, and I never forgot what you did to me. I say, I say. We used to communicate by tapping on ham, too. I also had what I referred to as a little ham horn. It was good for blowing out a little Dixie-type melody. I did that back there in those bottoms where I was raised. Um, yes, well, anyway, I became quite proficient at Morse code, and I think I can still read it. <laughs> well, then, what is the poor beastie trying to say, Pearl? Does he know that we're trying to help him? Just a minute. He's saying... Don't let that incompetent quack of a cracker any anywhere near me. I'll tap out my own obituary on his horrible gray jowls before I let that happen. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Did he tap out that laugh, too? No, that was my own contribution. I say, Captain. That disrespectful horse clomping is awful loud and harsh on this here country doctor's God-given ears. Do you think that we could maybe have the artificial gravity turned down a few notches? Wouldn't that roll some of the weight off those powerful hooves of his? Your concept of artificial gravity is one of the more far-fetched contrivances I've heard so far. Although on this show, it has lots of competition. There's just no way, no viable theory that could possibly explain the simulation of such a basic universal force. Working with a mass of such relatively small size, you'd have to be utilizing centrifugal force by continually rotating the ship, or at least the part of the ship that you want gravity in. There's no shortcut here, I'm afraid. It takes work, dedication, and true scientific discipline to come up with a viable theory. Continually rotate the ship. But that would look ridiculous. It would certainly change the beginning credits of the show. It would be no more ridiculous than you all seem to me right now. Mr. Welsh, please explain how our artificial gravity works to the not-so-good doctor. Well, it all has to do with manipulating field density in relationship to gravity phenomenon. 
We've got a toggle switch rigged up on the environmental control deck that turns the thing off and on. You may have well told me that you do it by waving a magic wand or by rubbing Aladdin's lamp. The concept as you present it on your show is completely untenable. The artificial gravity has stopped functioning. I don't know why, but it's affecting the entire ship. Environmental control says that all of their colorful indicator lights seem to be working properly. There's just no gravity, sir. Captain Romney, without gravity, we'll be hard-pressed to even make our way down to the engineering section. To even begin to figure out what's happening. Whatever it is that Sagan has done, he's inhibited our show's ability to transcend physics. I've never seen the like. The show can't possibly last now. Captain, what do we do? <laughs> I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I have never commanded a funhouse before. <laughs> I say, what's that tapity tap pitter patter sound? Don't tell me we've got a leak in the roof besides here. I hear it too. Hey, it's Mr. Ned. He's tapping out instructions to the lineman. What lineman? Do you mean the one that works for the county? I am not a rotund oozing butt sore. Captain, tell him I'm not. Oh, I get it now. These are instructions for the helmsman. Are you reading this, Mr. Sulu? I may be floating around the bridge like a Zorkian bubble toad. But I can still hear okay, Mr. Pearl. Tell Mr. Ned to proceed. He says to shut down the primary engines and try to hold the ship stationary in space. Once it's steady, start firing both the upper starboard thrusters and pulses, while simultaneously firing both lower portside thrusters in the same manner. Set the pulses at one quarter power and fire them at two minute intervals. But that will overwhelm the inertial stabilizers, Mr. Pearl. I mean, Mr. Ned. He said, yes, for corn's sake, just do it. Do it now. Captain, if we do that, we'll start spinning like a lopsided plation top. I don't know what that will do to our systems. It's never been done. It might restore gravity, but it might also spin us apart. We'd better do it, Mr. Welsh. <laughs> my peristalsis is starting to bulk at conveying fun-sized million-dollar bars through my own system. <laughs> And they're not nearly so much fun now. <laughs> That's doing it, sir. We have gravity again. But just how we're going to get anywhere while the ship is spinning like this, I do not know. Yeah, we'll look pretty silly pulling up to a staircase. Might even look like we're on drugs or something. You don't think they'll start shooting at us, do you? Maybe we better stop spinning and just forego gravity. Spinning wheel, got to go around. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. <laughs> well, well, luckily, gentlemen, if we're shunned by Starfleet, we've got about a quarter of the galaxy to wander around in and try to find some new friends that can accept us for who we are and who won't mind getting dizzy when they look at us. Oh, about your Star Empire, your Confederation. That too is impossible. Well, I say, now you've gone too far, Dr. Satan Scientist. No, sir. 
Don't you dare tread on the new confederation. Why, it's about the best government that God ever saw fit to guide men to conceive. It's perfection in a pecan shell and twice as tiny. Why, our government is the closest thing to having no government at all. It's been pared down just to the essential military and security state functions. And oh yes, it's dedicated to the facilitation of multi-stellar corporate tranquility. It's all that is beauty and more. And I thank you not to cast your evil dispersions on it. Not now. Not ever. As I was saying, a star empire stretching over thousands of parsecs of space could never work. Even parties within such an empire trying to engage in interstellar communication would find it impossible. Such an entity couldn't be governed. Traveling between worlds could take many thousands of years. And even that's assuming that you were able to achieve velocities approaching the universal speed limit, meaning the speed of light. Indeed, by the time you reached your destination, the civilization that you left behind would have aged considerably, and most likely wouldn't even exist anymore. The fact is, you don't have a star empire. The very thought of it is ludicrous. Captain, we just lost contact with Starfleet's command. Mr. Beasley, our head chief baker, was in the midst of talking to Admiral Lardo, Starfleet's pastry commandant, and they were all of a sudden cut off. No explanation as to why, sir. Mr. Stephanie E. is removing some of the paddles from below his bridge station and looking at some wires and 1960s-era circuit boards, but so far he's found nothing that can account for the problem with communications. Also, sir, at the same time, all Confederate civilian commerce channels went quiet. I can only assume from that that the Confederation is gone. I say, I say, if commerce stops, so does the Confederation. Confound it all. I had a lot of cash tied up in that little lady. So, Sagan, I can see why Earth was so hot to banish you and those other eggheads into space. You ruin everything. And people say that's what I do. Well, it's you that really does it, and I hate it. <laughs> I guess that means we're really alone in space now. The Confederation, Starfleet, all just a fiction. And they all seem so very real. Just as real as my own Mormon faith. Oh well, why don't we set a course for some money-making paradise and just sit out the rest of the show in extreme luxury and comfort, with plenty of low-paid alien servants available to cater to our every whim. Are you saying we could go back to Earth and to my own country estate? I say thank you, sir. What? Is it starting to rain out there again? What's that tapping? No, that's Mr. Ninnigan. Tapping out a new message. <laughs> Although he may be tapping to the incidental music, it's pretty catchy this week. Ned is ordering us to get up to the bridge. Hey, I didn't think he could order the captain to do something. Oh, well. Uh, wow. He said that... There are some prizes and some space awards up there just waiting for us. I say, then somebody better get up top and have a look-see. If there are any polecat pens, banjos, or bottle trees on offer, they're mine! <laughs> Very well, Doc. The bottle tree is all yours. We'll go up to the bridge and have a look-see. Mr. Ned Pearl Welsh, you're with me. Doc, you can stay with Mr. Sagan. Why don't you talk to him about the Clintons or the Obamulans? Maybe he can make them cease to exist, too. <laughs> but under no circumstances, let him anywhere near our religions. <laughs> He'd tear them to shreds. And then we'd have to find some other pliable system of beliefs to chain our spiritual donkeys to. 
He said, um, uh, pardon this, sir. I, <clears throat> he says, not to worry, since, since your ass is irrevocably chained to stupid. Captain's talking time, starting the day with a smile, and a hearty hello, Dolly, and a healthy breakfast of moonflake cereal. It's not just for eclipses anymore. <laughs> well, we've been checking the entire bridge set, turning pretty much everything upside down, which is surprisingly easy to do on these plywood consoles. And we found none of the prizes or awards that Mr. Ned assured us were up here. I'm trying to keep a stiff upper lip, but the looks of disappointment on my bridge crew's collective faces are beginning to overwhelm my own frozen expressions. <laughs> darn, double darn. I hate not getting prizes. Anyhow, a lot has happened on the ship today. Out of the goodness of our hearts, we rescued one Carl Sagan, a banished practitioner of the dark sciences. We plucked him from certain doom and from his derelict spaceship called the Doodoo Hydrant. And since he's come on board, he's done nothing but poke fatal holes in the mythical fabric that keeps our television universe ticking. And importantly, filling the sofa seats back home. On scientific grounds, he's already taken out of commission our transporter, our gravity control, and our warp drive. And now he's deprived us of our beloved Confederate Space Service. <laughs> what a day's work. Hey, Doc, where did you leave Sagan? Hopefully not anywhere near the briefing room. I left some of my latest war justification plans in there. Gee, if we were even to look at them, they might disappear, and a very unlucrative peace might prevail. I say, I left him in the ship's galley. He's calculating the value of pi down to its last unholy digit. Oh my god, that was brilliant talk. I've really underestimated you for the last 12 episodes. That should keep him busy and out of our hair for at least 10 minutes. How did you think of that? Well, I thought I could keep him busy making a Beckleberry Space Rhubarb Pie, using some of that Mr. Stephanie dough. But he must have misinterpolated me, and he went and started his head of smoking on some Gothus equation. <laughs> you know, I'm always thinking about pie and about attaining the biggest piece. That's why I started Bane. Bane is all about pie. <laughs> Captain, I really think that the only way to rid ourselves of the scourge that is Sagan is to kill him. Or to do what our Confederate ancestors did two centuries ago. Stuff him into a freezing unit and launch him into deep space. Those wise founding fathers of ours knew only too well that the fabric of their entire reality couldn't endure with brainiac types like Sagan constantly pulling out thread after thread. What a stinker! Captain Willard, we are within a few hundred million miles of Omicron's Bilbo system. I suggest that we lay in a course for the fourth planet in that system. Once we are there, we can try to maroon Sagan on that world. Well, at least the ship's computer system is still working. Sagan hasn't managed to sink his science hatchet into that yet. Pearl, you fat idiot. This is not the computer talking. It is I, Mr. Ned. I am only utilizing the computer's voice modulation system. But why? I was completely proficient in interpreting your coded messages, wasn't I? You were more competent at that than at anything you've ever done in your entire life. Even though by any normal objective standard... You made a great hash of it. For one thing, you never captured my expert comic timing correctly, nor did you do justice to my hilarious barbed wit. Well, yeah, I left out most of your jokes and stuff. But, I mean, they were all at my expense. <laughs> well, welcome back, Mr. Ned. 
I guess I'll have to postpone that deal I made with that Portuguese slaughterhouse. I thought I'd be sending you off with the other non-talking, non-dancing horses. <laughs> but I guess all those wily dealers in horse flesh died a few hundred thousand years ago in Earth's past anyway. So I guess that you're okay for now. That is until my people can line up something else. Willer, I'd sooner eat them, but then I'd have to spit them out because I am an herbivore. Now, I have just fed the coordinates to our new destination to the navigator. Do you have any objection to my plan? <laughs> Thanks for asking. No, I think that for Dr. Sagan, both the death penalty and the banishment are tidy options. Okay, navigator, lay in a course for Bilbo 4. Hey, we have a navigator. Aye, aye, sir. Course received from Mr. Ned. It's laid in now, sir, and ready to engage. Hey there, just so you folks at home all know, that's Mr. Dwadnam talking. He's a Tlom Blapashoon from the planet Tlom Blapapoon, and he's our alien navigator. You might not recognize him. Oh, he's been here for, um, um, a long time. We all know him very well. I think he may even have a first name that we also, um, know very well indeed. We sometimes even call him by it when we are at ease and relaxing in the ship's rec room. I see, the man's an alien. You can tell by the flabs of orange wiggly skin on his head and by where his arms come out of his uniform. I'm not taken with a foreigner myself, but I understand that he did take one of those poison spears from me on planet Look Out There. He almost died, but he saved my life. I guess I should be a little less nauseated by him and a bit more grateful. I might just manage it. That is, if he keeps away from our women folk. Any chance that I can go home now? I think I've fed my fill of this farcical and rather unimaginative version of the future. Mr. Twardum, grab it before he destroys what's left of our show's premise. Stay back. So is this what you would call an alien life form from one of your confederate planets? I must say, I expected better. Don't you realize how unlikely it would be that a life form which evolved in an alien planetary ecosystem would come to resemble us in any way? I say the chances are close to zero. I say, as I just got through with a saying, he's a space alien and is nothing like us. He's got all kinds of orange plastic stuff glued to his skin, and he wears aluminum clothes and stuff. And when was the last time you came across a name like Dwadnam in the phone directory? Captain, Mr. Dwadnam is gone. I was looking right at him, sir. And then suddenly he just tore off his costume and makeup and headed off to the studio cafeteria. Well, I hope you're satisfied, Mr. Sagan. You not only made our navigator disappear, but you also vanished every other allied alien that we could possibly relate to. Now I suppose we'll have to try to converse with hovering protoplastic jelly beings, even though they couldn't possibly bring with them any interesting plot potential. You're certainly not going to see the captain making out with one. Yuck! The thought of it is making me throw up in my own mouth! <laughs> the automatic door is just what I'm looking for. I realize that what you're all doing here is incredibly important, but could one of you take a minute just to show me how I can leave? I've got him, Tom. I've got him, Tom. Quick, hypo him. Get your hands up, me, you tub of lard. Oh, 
Oh, see, what did I tell you, Pearl? And he's about the most objective man that you're ever going to come by. I'm not fat. It's just that I need to keep my weight up since King Radapanoida gives me my weight and precious gems every time my firm provides him with new war justification readouts. I see. I think I have a hypodermic thingamajig in my medical kit here. Let's see. There's a stick of gum, some fishing tackle, some snake repellent. I really hate the smell of that stuff. No, sir, it does not agree with me. Oh, and look at here. A generous helping of prune succotash. I'll enjoy that later. Doc, we're on the last page of the script. Could you just find it already? Ah, here it comes. Doc, you hit second over the head with your medical tricorder. I thought that was the cure for Rigelian narcolepsy. It's also a universal and multi-purpose sedative. You know, we're probably the only ship in the fleet that would have fewer casualties if we didn't retain a chief medical officer... (laughs) <laughs> yes, but I'd marry him all over again. That is to any one of a dozen serving female crewmen. <laughs> I could do that as captain and as a Mormon bishop. Well, I guess we should load him into an anti-grav cart and dump him onto Bilbo 4, which is probably some deserted Hollywood backlot. Make sure they're not filming the Big Valley or any other shows down there. <laughs> we wouldn't want Sagan to use his black scientific magic to destroy the premise of our American westerns. I should say not. Our own rugged independent spirit, thirst for expansionism, and proud idealistic illiteracy all stems from mythology that was originally forged in the American Western. Um, so maybe we better kill him after all. Captain, the anti-grav cart is not working. We'll have to use your little red wagon. Very well, Mr. Welsh. You'll find the keys that unlock that padlock inside my teddy bear, which is in the freezer. <laughs> He's in suspended animation, too, just waiting for Daddy to come home. <laughs> Anyway, take Dr. Sagan in the wagon, beam him down to the planet, and give him some macaroons. He means to say, maroon him down there, Welsh. Hi, aye, aye, Captain. We're on our way. You know, wouldn't it be something to visit that back lot again in about 50 years just to see what might have grown from that Sagan seed that we planted there today? <laughs> just imagine what he might do in that small piece of uncivilized waste ground. I imagine that he might discover a new species of slime mold. There's probably not a lot to work with down there. My God, I'm glad that's over. So, Captain, do you think now that Sagan's gone, everything about our ship and our universe will revert back to how it was before? Well, this would be a pretty pointless show to watch if we were only able to deal with reality and known scientific facts, wouldn't it? I mean, for corn's sake... Who's gonna want to sit around and watch a bunch of certified losers and a mute horse essentially sitting, growing foils, and talking about corn futures? I say, what time did you say that show was on? <laughs> Spin us out of orbit, Mr. Sulu, and then I guess just tool around a bit in interstellar space. I'm sure that we won't lack for things to talk about. Hi, <laughs> sir. Hi, everybody. 
This is Joe Perry from Big Green. Well, here I am um, sometime after we recorded this week's show, or this month's show, I should say, and uh, I realized that we didn't have quite enough in the way of music, so I'm going to throw in a number from our album International House, which I believe we may have played on the podcast before. It's called um, Volcano Man, and it's one of my favorite tracks. And I want to share it with you now. And then we'll go into our segment known as Put the Phone Down. So here it is, Volcano Man. Enjoy. You can if you believe. You can, you can. You can, you can believe. You can if you believe. You can, you can. You can surely believe. And we all can fly Glad 
splinters already. I think we've established that now. Yes, yes. Completely. Yes, you, you did your Frankenstein impersonation. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was so good. Good. So, Matt, here we are. It's November. And, uh, oh, yeah, November. My favorite month. Oh, yeah. Beautiful time of year uh, for... Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's yes. for the killing and the shooting. It's time for the shooting and the killing. Using... <laughs> Well, actually, that start the archery season for deer started October first. We got a couple bonus weeks starting last year because the season was just too short. So it's douchebags with bows and arrows. Yeah, basically. but don't worry, they're incredibly well trained. Huh. Oh, no, we've already had several horribly wounded animals come on the property. It's been wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a real morale booster. And when I say the property, I don't mean the Cheney Hammer Mill. I mean the nature preserve. Yes. Spring the Funk Nature cares. preserve. Spring Funk cares. So far away from the stark dungeon of a place. Stark dank place. <clears throat> and what's new with you, Joe, for November? Oh, not too much. Just batteries, medical tests. Oh boy! And back and forth between. Did they establish if you have a brain? <laughs> no, it's pretty much the same process as it always is. It's like you go to a doctor, and then they send you for tests. Oh, yeah, they, they send... don't find anything, and then they... That's right. <laughs> and then you come back, and it's like, well, you're perfectly well. <laughs> and it's yeah. like I still feel like shit. Well, there must be something wrong with you. <laughs> so it's yes, I've I've had several hilarious encounters with doctors that I was convinced were incompetent afterward after after the fact but they said to me no it wasn't Dr. Coburn <laughs> I see I see <laughs> I see what's the matter with you is you've got some you've got a pipe lodged in the back of your head <laughs> no no uh, I had a doctor tell me that you're only breathing with like 20 percent capacity of your lungs or something and so he made me do it like a stress test and it turned out he was completely wrong did he make <laughs> you do a stress test actually? yes because he thought that my lungs were not working and i was like telling him well obviously my lungs are working i think i would notice <laughs> and another doctor of course whispered to me that he thought i had cancer it's like, why are you whispering it to me? You should be saying that louder to me. You could whisper it to, like, other people in the room. When was that? Uh, I don't know. That was ages ago. That was one of the Klingon doctors I had. Oh. One of the Klingon doctors. Dr. Koloff. Or <laughs> Dr. Koloff. <laughs> <laughs> I was having swallowing difficulties. Oh, right. I have cancer. All right. I was like, why are you whispering to me? You can say that loud. What was his reason for thinking Because he he, he thought Did that swallowing difficulties were consistent oh, okay. with. I don't freaking know why he said it. Yeah. It was an acute case, Joe. <laughs> an acute case. Anyway, so, yeah. But then during the stress test, I got to like show how I was the six million dollar man, and I made the da -da 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 -da. I made the the counter go up to seventy miles an hour. 
I had a stress echo. What do you think now? Oh, you did? What's that? That's a stress test where they make you lie down on a... Oh. First, they get you going. Is it like that Captain Kirk test where the <laughs> pedals are up on yeah, the Yeah, except ball? the pedals are down on the ground. <laughs> now, it's a treadmill. Okay. And they wire you up, and they do an EKG while you're walking. Oh, okay. And yeah. then they make you go on an incline and walk about probably four miles an hour. Yeah, they made me go on an incline. And then, and then you drop down on a bed. And they had me wired up. Right. Yeah. And then they drop down... Drop you down on a bed and they do they an ultrasound do of your heart. I don't think they did that. At me. So they take a picture of your heart before. Oh, maybe they did that. They take a ultrasound before you go on. Yeah. And then they take an ultrasound after you after you've gotten yourself to walking speed, so right. that they can compare the two and see whether your heart's working a lot harder right. when you're when you're walking. They out. made me keep doing it because they were they were trying to tire me out. I think with yes. walking. They couldn't tire me out. So they were thinking, you're probably okay because we can't seem to tire you out. Yeah. That's because I walk all day. Yeah. It's like, so walking is... It uh, would be hard to tire you out. You walk impossible all day and carry trees. From, from walk... <laughs> yes. I, I eat great rocks and trees while I'm walking. <laughs> he eats great rocks and trees. That's the thing most people don't know about Matt. I'm able to eat. He's not rocks. only a vegetarian. He eats great rocks and trees. Well... I'm not opposed to eating people, <laughs> but when I do, I have to spit them out because I'm an herbivore. <laughs> I just need him to kill them. Thank you, Ned. Go away now. <laughs> that was him going away. See you later. Hey, how come I can't say anything? Oh, no, not him. Pearl, get, get out, out of here. Pearl. You coward. Go back to where you came from, you coward. <laughs> Go back and start a war. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's had enough of that for a while, Joe. That was already an hour We're long. done for. We're done for. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of morphing into Smith, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's morphing into well, Doctor Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, somebody's going to turn into Smith eventually. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're imitating a '60s show, and that <laughs> wants to happen really bad. You can't just have like a bad character. They have to like turn into something somehow less threatening and more ridiculous. At least on that show. <laughs> clownish. Yes, it was clownish. Clownish behavior on that well, part was very... Yeah, I'm afraid on the net show everyone is turning into a clown. So Everyone's turning into a clown. I mean, everybody's a jackass. Who's not a jackass in that show, yeah. Joe? That's a good question. <clears throat> I think everybody is a jackass. Well, on the show. Yeah, on the show. Say. On the show. Not everybody. So hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. I think it had a pertinent message this month. I think we all learned a little something. I think we learned a little bit about the history of some of the characters. We learned about Ned's cinematic triumphs. About <laughs> uh, Pearl's middle name. We finally put a middle name to Richard Blow Daddy Pearl. <laughs> and then he was decorated by <laughs> Starfleet's Bakers. <laughs> Starfleet's Chief Baker, yes. <laughs> So we did learn that there was a lot of science, a lot of very well-researched theories. Yes, Matt really knocked himself out with the research. Yes, on yes there was quite a bit of debunking of Star Trek's 
<laughs> well, main plot devices. Sorry, Matt was playing with my 20-year-old headphones. <laughs> this place is so pathetic. <laughs> I've been in real studios, broke, okay? Joe. Look, we live in the basement of the abandoned Cheney Hammerman. I don't live here, really. Now, all the bands live together. We... <laughs> Along with their road managers. I, I've seen real good studios, Joe, with real people that know what they're doing. Yes. It doesn't look at all like this. Well, there's now a very, <laughs> now a very famous studio is up the street. From they this. have guitars in which they actually change the strings more than like Once twice every 20 a year. Years. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, I'm afraid yeah. on my guitars, the ones that <laughs> the guitars of mine that are still working. <coughs> they have very ancient strings. And mostly when we record, I use a backpack guitar that I don't know if anyone has ever used a backpack guitar for recording before. <laughs> but you know what? It's easier to play. And I don't play guitar anymore. So there. Well, once Bruce Springsteen used a, used a cassette recorder. <laughs> Did he have to, though? For his elbow. Did he have to? Well, no. <laughs> Whereas Matt Perry used one for years because he had to, because there was nothing else to record. Yes. I'm wearing a cardboard belt even now. We're still wearing a cardboard belt. Now, you folks are lucky you're getting anything. Anything. Send us money. No. <laughs> no. No, don't keep it yourself. If you're listening to this, you probably need it. <laughs> you probably need it more than we do. Keep it. That's pathetic. Buy food. Buy food to sustain yourselves. <laughs> Save yourselves. Buy shoes. Don't send your money to us. Buy shoes. Don't waste your money on this shit. <laughs> he said this shit. Oh, weird. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're supposed to keep the swearing to a minimum. Well, I'll bleep it out. Don't worry. You've just destroyed our, our rating. Or, or yes, our... Our clean rating. Yes. yes, now we're dirty. Dirty oh, no. filth. No, no, I'll, I'll bleep it out later. So what's Sorry, new, man. Joe? Sorry. I guess uh, there is an election again. How exciting. Yes, it was an exciting night of electioneering. It was um, another good night for Walter Mondale. Oh, yeah. It was another good night. No, that was back in 1984. Crispy. Oh, yeah. Crispy. Big Blombo there. Yes. Big fat, everybody loves him. He's like Jackie Gleason or something. Well, you know, they had a picture in the paper that looked a lot like <laughs> Jackie Gleason doing one of his. Yeah. You know how that, that little dance that he used to do? Where he... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fat man dance. Yeah. Um, it kind of looked like that. Yeah. So uh... I kind of almost think they're doing the Jackie Gleason. I think the reason why the, the media loves him so much is that a lot of them were born in New Jersey. <laughs> a so lot of them probably kinda... have a weight problem, uh, too. So they just... think. He's just like us. If that fat slop can do well, then maybe I can someday. <laughs> <laughs> that was them taking a bite of a hoagie or something. Some kind of sandwich structure. <laughs> that homophobic anti-choice reactionary dickwad is, is from New Jersey. And that one isn't. So I hate him and I love him. Yeah, and so uh, I guess uh, old uh, Rand Paul is kind of imploding. Yeah, in the strangest way, I can't understand yeah, I it at all. Yeah, his lack of discipline is rather amazing. But that's like the easiest thing to pull out of. Yeah, no, but you know how it is with arch conservatives. They have a problem. 
They kind of go. He really does. Kind of crazy. I guess he had that problem with that aide that he had, the one that was like, uh, you know, like a. a oh yeah, racist, <laughs> you know, yeah, like the guy who's trying to guy. The what was he like the Confederate Avenger? Yeah, or something. yeah, it was something like that. And he, he's like a superhero. And and he wouldn't get rid of him because he because people were telling it him was a youthful kind of like, indiscretion, Joe, when he was thirty. <laughs> right, yeah, they're useful. They're useful indiscretions go. I mean, they're, they're like Henry Hyde useful indiscretions. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that thing about the the plagiarism thing—that's just silly. That's yeah, lazy. It's like just so say your staff cribbed Wikipedia like just about everybody else's. Yeah, but it's something that Spock said in Star Trek years ago. Yes, <laughs> you know that. Say it, Joe. Say it, Joe. <laughs> they, as savages, found it much harder. Oh, I'm not sure how exactly he said it, but the, the effect of it was that the, them being savages made it harder for them to be, act as civilized men than it is for civilized men to act as savages. Yeah, so that that's the syndrome. Well, I'm surprised because I don't, think, I don't think Rand Paul is really the caveman that he's trying to appeal to you know he's he's kind of more that no he's it's more an intellectual libertarian guy so it's kind of surprising that he's he follows he follows a certain script but it's i mean his foreign policy is anathema to just about every other reactionary you know well is he but is he pretending to have the foreign policy of the tea party or is he sticking with the foreign policy of his father it's more like his father okay because in other areas you know he's he's come close to the tea party so yeah yeah but from what i've heard of his foreign policy it's it's kind of like um it's kind of like jumping all over the place a little bit i mean some of the reasons for his positions are a little bizarre but but a lot of the positions are similar to what his father but, it's a complicated dance. Yes. But he's been, you know, he's said a lot of things on the foreign policy front that I can't disagree with. It's just that he's, on everything else, he's just insane. Yeah. That's for dang sure. That's for dang sure. He's insane times Kentucky. Yeah. And for all those... Those of you from Kentucky out there, I do apologize. Sorry about that. I do apologize. Because there are a lot of assholes in New York, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn it! It's a much more populous <laughs> no, state. New York! It's a much more populous state. I'm sure there's way more assholes in New York. Well, there would almost have to be, yes. But somehow Kentucky gets two senators. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, that's the inherent justice of the system, Matt. Yeah, that's how you keep... States' rights, okay? You got something against that? Our founding fathers conceived in the most perfect possible. Yeah, I don't think they thought yeah, of Utah ourselves. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> they never conceived of the possibility of Utah <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Montana. Mm. I do like it though that Millard Fillmore was the one that appointed uh, Brigham Young as governor <laughs> of as, as governor of Utah Territory. <laughs> well, Millard Fillmore, you know, he was a much more important president than people make it up. Yeah, I know. He's, that was just such a standard joke line. It's like James K. Polk. Yeah. 
He's got a little song. 1844, the Democrats were split. Hilarious presidential songs. Is that like the They Might Be Giants or something? It's got a singing saw solo in it, too. That's what I, that's what I like about it. Oh, yeah. Nobody plays that anymore. Nobody plays that anymore. Anymore. Okay, Not even the Charlie, the Charlie Parker of the singing song. So, are we playing any songs in this I was episode? just about to ask you. <laughs> we didn't think of anything to play. Oh, well, we? you know, we've got plenty of options. You see, we are working on some songs currently for the next episode of The Ned Show because it will be somewhat of a musical. And so, therefore, we've had, had to put all our effort into that, what effort that we're allowed, which is not very much, as you all know. Yes. So we tell you every month. We tell you everything. We don't hold anything. We make back. you cry with us. We hold, so we you're not you crying at us. us. That's right. And so you don't cry alone. Because that would hurt our pride. And our feelings. Which we have much of. Yes. Antibodies. <laughs> Antibodies. <sighs> yes. So, um, yeah, we have um, we have a lot of old songs that we could play. We've got some. We yeah, got, we'll probably we crap out something for you folks here. We got selections off of our albums. Yeah, or we. What does anyone out there want to hear? Uh, yes, you in the back. Very good suggestion. <laughs> Don't ask him. <laughs> He's a Methodist. <laughs> He's a Methodist. He's a Methodist. <laughs> Don't ask. Sounded like Gloria. The Gloria from upstairs. Oh yeah, Gloria. When she would You'd be yelling at her Gloria. she'd be yelling at her kids early in the morning and we'd we'd hear her and she'd be so hoarse she sounded like like a lizard woman or something. I can't even do it because I'll I won't be able to talk for weeks if I do an impersonation, so I won't. I won't do it. I simply won't do it. I simply won't do it. Don't ask me. So what song are we going to play for the folks, Joe? Are we going to play one of the old cassette masterpieces? Well, we have we have a fair selection of those, yes. Let's see what we have here. We have... We could play Plastic Head. <laughs> well, that's a Christmas song, Joe. Oh. It's not appropriate for November. It is pretty weird, though. I give you that. Well, should we play weird or should we play weirder? (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking know. I mean, I don't. I swore again, Joe. Sorry. I don't know. Sorry, I swore. I swore I wouldn't swear, and I swore. Well, what do you have there? You have a list of songs. Why don't you read some off, and I'll see. Motivation X? Good God, no. We have my bed. 
I think we've played that. Yeah, we've we, some version of Yeah, we we had a more recent version. We have little pig flies. Yeah, you can play that one. Little pig flies. That's one of our first country masterpieces. Okay, we'll play little pig flies, ladies and gentlemen. Little pig flies. Is this the version with Ace on guitar there? I think it would almost have to be. Yeah, I think that was the only version. No, I think there was a live version too. Hmm. I almost yeah, remember. Yeah, but I, I don't think I've ever actually. Well, I haven't yet. Um, yeah, I don't remember it. Digitized. It was it. probably terrible. I have it. I think like, I don't know. One of those songs, my bass chord stopped working, so all of a sudden you <laughs> stop hearing the bass. Yeah, that was our performance at at Woodley's. Yeah. Live at Woodley's. Yeah, so it was live at Woodley's. Woodley had a... Uh, oh, well, Woodley. It was <laughs> Jeremy Shaw. Jeremy Shaw! Jeremy Shaw! <laughs> um, he had a huge party at his house. Yeah, time, and we, and, we uh, played. And we played there, uh, along with some other groups. But Yeah, the recording was... It, it's got some moments that aren't too bad, but... <laughs> we always sounded kind of seedy in recordings. I don't know why. Not a, a good live band. Not a good live band. Well, there were times when we sounded pretty good. Yeah, okay. Well, I thought. Usually controlled environment. I could never hear myself when we played. The trouble is, all that time that we were playing live together, I mm. had the crappiest instruments you could imagine. Yeah. And my pianos sucked. Yeah, they sounded true. terrible. They played like a truck. They were kind if of blue, daddy. Thing, you would have been king of the dance. I would have had a lot more fun. Yeah. I can tell you that. Because this is actually playable. If I and, had this. And, but what was my excuse? <clears throat> well, you were fine. I don't remember where you played. I was drunk, Joe. I was I was he keyed sucked. up on horse, Joe. <laughs> He's keyed up on horse half the time. <laughs> Book him. And I was on cow. <laughs> <laughs> so what's we could, no actually oh, i was on chimp we just <laughs> the chimp was on my back joe <laughs> the chimp was on my back that was heroin first time ever um monkey on my back okay so our oldie selection will be will be um little pig flies yes which little is pig flies kind of a country now this is again this is a lo-fi recording it was done on a cassette yeah four track cassette yeah. machine Star Trek back, set back, back in, in the, day. the 80s. Back in the day. And it features Tony Butera. Yes. Our good friend Tony Butera. Uh, playing guitar. Playing electric guitar. Guitar and a, in a country I say, style. I have to say very well. Yeah, he's, he's a good player. He's a very good musician. He was perfect for us in so many ways. He actually took the trouble to learn our songs, which is something that almost no one would ever do. Yeah. He actually like listened to them, worked out the parts, and and did a reasonable job of, of learning. Instead of some other guitar players who we'd have to end up learning their stuff because they would never learn ours, <laughs> we'd end up turning into their band. That's right. And being very sad. And being very sad until we just stopped doing it because it's like, what's the point of that? But now we're sad together, so we don't cry alone. Yes, that's right. That's how come we we have no other musicians with us now. <laughs> we don't have any friends. We don't have any friends. <laughs> nobody listens to us. Uh, nobody, nobody comes here ever. Nobody, ever. 
we talk about playing live again, and perhaps we will. And all you people listening to this will be expected to show up. We expect you to show up. Even if, even if you're listening to this in the distant future and we are long dead, we expect you to somehow come out to see us. We're going to book, we'll book gigs long after we're dead. I'll put it in my will. <laughs> Bring me to this. Coming back. Yeah. Long after they're dead. Yes. 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 No, actually. If you longed for the dead, wait till you hear Big Green. They're dead. That would be some combination of us and electronics and perhaps a screen. Yes. Electronics. We will be talking like this. Someone will have to be pointing a camera at us. Yes. And there will be be several Germans. Yes. And then there will be jugglers. (laughs) Yes. And, And they will... They will be juggling things. Yes, and a guy who bends macaroni. On fire. Yes, a guy who bends macaroni. Look, it's totally bent. <laughs> Look, it's totally bent. Look at Yuri Geller of macaroni. <laughs> so Yuri Geller of macaroni. <laughs> he takes penne and turns it into elbows. <laughs> uh, Look, it's totally bent. <laughs> Then he gets really nervous when you bring your own macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brigatoni. <laughs> the amazing Randy brings his own macaroni. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets really pissed off. You're destroying the energy in the in the room. You are disturbing my energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a crack! <laughs> <laughs> what a crack! <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> like, like so many illusionists, it turns out to be a crock. <laughs> I'm, I'm so disillusioned. I'm so disillusioned. <laughs> I, I was sure that Yuri would be the one. I'm really <laughs> disappointed about Bigfoot. That's all I can say. Yuri's the one. I once that's, said that that's if you gave Nixon, me, a... that's the 1968 Nixon campaign theme song what is nixon's the one nixon's, nixon's the one. one anita bryant uh, of course anita bryant singing when nixon's she wasn't the one look it up on youtube when she wasn't stepping on homosexuals <laughs> <laughs> pouring orange juice in their eyes <laughs> she was doing richard nixon commercials <laughs> oh dear that rings a bell <laughs> yes. Uh, Another hero. Oh, Anita. Anita. Is she like dead? I don't know. Let's find out. Well, you used to know her. Anita no, that Bryant. was Don Ho. Don Ho is dead. Anita Bryant is still alive. Don Ho is definitely dead. Yep. Lots of people are dead, turns out. Lots of people living now, though. Things can't be done, brother, when things ain't looking up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's Don Ho. Don Ho, Don Ho. So, are we playing another song? Are we trying to do a oh, we bio this one Anita Bryant? Let's see. Oh, we here comes <laughs> Jesus Christ. We are well, so bad. We'll at just this. group them. We've we'll, been doing this show for two years. We will group them. Two years. Oh, damn. and we still don't know what we're doing. Yes, we do. 
This is a terrible podcast. Turn it off now. It's the worst podcast ever. Okay, let's just play another song. I mean, we'll play the first song, and then maybe okay. we'll play another song, and then we'll go away. Okay, Little Pig Flies. Here we go. That was it. Totally I remember it. it so well. I remember it like it was yesterday. I like that kind of Kimberly reference at the end. Reference Kimble. to the fugitive. Kimball! <laughs> Joe's doing his Philip Gerard impersonation. <laughs> Played by Gary Morris.
an English actor, a lovely man. <laughs> he actually seemed like a very nice man. A man that tortured Richard Kimball. Yes. She's still alive. Is she still alive, Donnie? Okay. Anita Bryant is still alive, folks. Anita News Bryant. flash. News flash. Anita Bryant pie in the face video. Oh, really? Somebody put a pie in her face? Interestingly, this is the first video that comes up for Anita Bryant. Uh, well, this looks like it's kind of old. Is that why she didn't like homosexuals? It looks uh, like she's... She certainly would have done it on June the 8th after one of the most overwhelming victories in the country. Um, uh, but we did. We, we, we tried to avoid it and went into a place called Norfolk, Virginia and were met with protests and uh, um, all kinds of problems. And uh, uh, every... Oh, oh, oh. Security agent, security agent. Oh, no, let him stay. No. Well, at least it's a fruit pie. It was El Pita. Remember El Pita? No. It was, it was this group that went around putting pies in people's faces. They were called El, El Pita? El Pita. Wow, this kind of sounds like El Pita. Yeah, that was the idea. A little while later, Bryant's husband found the four pie throwers in a parking lot talking with newsmen. The four still had a banana cream pie with them, and despite his earlier plea for non-retaliation... Brian's husband took it and threw it in one of the pie throwers' face. Des Moines authorities say no charges will be filed in connection with today's incident. Dennis Walden, News 5. (laughs) That was very interesting. That was fantastic. So, we're going to play another song. And then leave these people, leave these people alone. Okay. Let's see what else we got. What do we got a Joe? <laughs> what do we got a? Let's play some Frankie. What's the song we have that's most like Frankie? Most like Frankie? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we have one. <laughs> Darn it. Um, let's see. Read off some names, Joe. So people well, aren't just I, listening to nothing. I would like to give them uh, a little... Something, something brown. Something brown. <laughs> yes, something totally something that smells rather brown. <laughs> He's mumbling. This is great radio. Oh, Jesus. Yes, give them Jesus. If you can't give them Frankie, give them Jesus. So some names, Joe. Some more names of songs. I'm looking for songs. He's like delving into the depths of his computer memory banks. These memory banks. Did you find any yet? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Just, just a minute. We should start doing this before we start recording. Yes, I know. I know. Oh. I'm scratching my leg now. Probably the first time this is ever done on national podcast. I'm still scratching my leg. We could play that. That's weird. (laughs) Sensory Man is kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. 
That might be a little bit too wiggly for That's very a podcast. Wiggly. That's very wiggly. Well, we'll throw something in there. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just to be some, announced. Yes. Uh, random extra song. Coming right up. Coming right up. Haven't yeah, heard it in a long time, no promise, doubt. We promise to do it better next next month. <laughs> yeah, we the won't. Christmas extravaganza. Well, luckily, we won't have to do this part because we won't have to think of any extra songs to play because the songs will be incorporated incorporated into the Ned show. Indeed. So here it is. Hey, you good old boys. Roundup's coming soon. With a hunter's moon. I'll see you there. <laughs> oh <laughs> it hit me in the throat 
Um, hit me in the throat, Zach. Greatness hit me in the throat. That was fantastic, Joe. I couldn't believe it was that song. Need water. Forgot all about that song. Didn't oh. expect it. Didn't expect it. Didn't expect it. Didn't expect it's incredible. Didn't rather expect it. It's incredible gooditude. Well, anyway, so that was a great pleasure. Yes, um, so I think we should wrap this up. Yes, we certainly should. We've got work to do on some other songs before we... That's much preparation for the holidays. Hopefully you all enjoyed the Ned Show, at least. I hope you had a good time. If anyone that's still listening, we're sorry. If anyone uh, really does want to uh, listen to the Ned Show again, all you got to do is start, skip to the beginning and start press play podcast again. <laughs> over again. Listen to it again. I recommend you listen to it over and over and over again. Until you know the parts by heart. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. Time for us to go. Time for us to go. Tojo. Tojo. You know, it almost sounds like we have part of that song down now. I know. It's almost. It's almost bad. It's only. It's only taken two <laughs> it's years. Gone from non-existent to almost bad. It's taken two years to write that song. <laughs> time, for time, for time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. Wrinkly. Good night. Well, that's it. You're it. And we've actually already signed off, so this is redundant. But I want to thank my brother Matt for being here this evening. You're welcome. Hope you enjoyed Net Trek. This is Big Green, brought to you by no one in particular. The Koch brothers didn't come through with their check again. Same, fam. Find out more about us at big-green.net. Charlie! Follow Charlie at Big Green Joe. Charlie and the Coke. <laughs> no one's got the Charlie and the Coke. Bugger. <laughs>